This is Jill, your host for K9360 on KZUM. It's the only public affairs program in Lincoln that talks dogs, so far as I know. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. And we're glad to be here. Uh, wow, in September, we will mark 15 years on the air. And they said it wouldn't last, right? Um, there never seems to be any shortage of things to talk about. Dogs are such a bellwether, major reflection of our own human society and cultures that uh, we're perpetually, I think, deeply interested in who dogs are, what they mean to us, how they live with us in home neighborhood and community so we talk about them here on community radio because that's what we're all about and what we also try to do is have a conversation that would be different here than what might be possible on commercial radio stations where advertisers and corporate interests control content oh yeah oh yeah they do All right. Um, Last week, if you were with us, we talked about old friends, right? How the challenges of life with an old dog, where to find resources, how to know what to adjust, when to go to the veterinary clinic, and uh, ultimately how to know when it's time to make that last call, so to speak. And uh, I powered through, even though it was a little bit of a challenging conversation because I have very recently lost an old dog and uh, those emotions that sentimentality that grief is still pretty close to the surface but as John Lennon I believe famously said life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans so in the roller coaster of emotion and adjustments that we went through in the process of coming to terms with the loss of a family member after slightly more than 16 years of her very large presence in our house and in our family, we have welcomed another family member. Uh, I was not looking to get a puppy. I had not planned to get a puppy and uh, circumstances conspired and here we are. So there's a new new one hanging out little little girly uh, who joined us a couple weeks ago and is making herself quite at home and um, so I thought it might be interesting to talk about what the opportunities are when we bring a new puppy home that exist on beyond the basic things that we think about the important things right they're worth thinking about such as uh, where are you going to sleep where and what are you going to eat and how do we make sure that you do all your outdoor things outdoors, right? The things that dogs do outdoors that we do indoors. Um, so potty training is usually a pretty high priority. Um, I will tell you this, 
that nobody who acquires a dog for a specific purpose, which for me is uh, competitive obedience, some tracking, uh, debut in the breed ring, and confirmation shows, but, but I think also including folks who plan to have their dog hunt, right? You want a field dog, um, you want a herding dog who can help you with your own livestock even. Uh, if you anticipate that you would like a dog who could function as a therapy dog and visit in schools or hospitals or senior centers or libraries, nobody who has acquired a dog for a specific working purpose like that waits any amount of time before they start training. Training starts the day that puppy's feet hit your threshold. That training, of course, includes learning how to be quiet in a crate, um, how to find the back door, how to let us know that you need to go outside, what to do when you're out there, um, and all that stuff that keeps our uh, keeps us from killing them, right? That and how cute they are. But there's a really wonderful resource for those of you who have thought about building a competition dog um, or a performance dog or a sport dog from the ground up and it's called Building Blocks for Performance Giving Your Puppy a Head Start for Competition it's written by a trainer who we lost way too soon named Bobby Anderson Bobby was out in California um, her book was written in 2002 uh, she was born in 1936 I think we lost her four years ago maybe five she was in her 80s when she passed, um, but she was competing with her border collies. As a friend of mine likes to joke, I'm going to be working right up until lunchtime on the day of my funeral. I think that Bobby was competing with her little border collies, her little red top border collies, right up till lunchtime on the day of her funeral. Um, it was a pretty quick transition from her to be no longer in the obedience rings and and then the note of her passing. This is an amazing book, truly. If you wanted insight into even how to make your pet dog into the best pet you could make it with the idea that you might want to do more with your dog down the road, you could do worse than than building blocks for performance. Um, her table of contents starts with why puppies do what they do. And she talks about the genetic lottery. And I know that you all have heard me say over and over again, how much a puppy's genetics matter with respect to literally everything that you're going to have to teach them in order for them to be productive members of the family. And sometimes you win the lottery if you go to the shelter or the rescue but more often you don't right we call it lottery for a reason did you win the lottery the last time you bought a ticket right genetics matter they matter a great deal so her building block number one is about building a strong relationship 
uh, here's a subheadings, right? School is always in session and respect is the bottom line. Sounds like humans, doesn't it? Right? School's always in session. Those kids are learning from us whether we think we're training them or teaching them or not. And respect is the bottom line. You can't be the substitute teacher. You got to be the real teacher, the real deal. Block number two is to make training fun. Uh, She has some stuff in there about the rules of engagement, pitfalls to avoid. Block three is the finer points of motivation. So that's when we start to learn about the difference between primary and secondary motivation, how to use your voice, and the role of play and games in these early early weeks and months. Block four is how to maximize your praise. Would you be surprised to know that Bobby and I agree? Praising your puppy, kissing him, holding him all the time because he's cute and breathes oxygen is only going to get you the canine version of... I don't know, Paris Hilton or a Kardashian, someone who thinks that all good things come to them simply because they are beautiful and they breathe oxygen, right? Um, So she talks about tone of voice, physical praise, timing, incorrect praise, right? Block five is compulsion and correction. Compulsion, yes, certain of these things are required of you and the consequences of what will happen should you make other choices, right? She, she'll teach you how to correct your puppy the right way and how to use reinforcement. Block number six is about maximizing drive. High prey drive equals high energy. And if you've got a high drive puppy, you need to know some of what she says here in terms of how to redirect some of that energy into the work itself. If your puppy is low drive, she's got a chapter for you on how to use play to bring that puppy out a little bit. Block seven is laying the groundwork and using play to build speed and enthusiasm. And in in my puppy classes, folks hear me say, with respect to um, concentration or attention, that... uh, those features do not come standard in these models. None of them. You have to install those features yourself. Bobby Anderson has a whole 10-page discussion about how to instill attention and focus in your puppy who's still under three months old. I know, are you intrigued now? It's good stuff. Block eight is about teaching basic skills, quick and consistent response, teaching it right. Uh, What's the difference between formal versus informal training? Lots of good stuff here. Block nine is how you build your plan for success. Where do we go? Where are we headed with this? How can I take these basics and begin to um, aim them at specific work? It's a little bit like choosing a major in college, right? You've come to college ready with all the basics and now you want to narrow a little bit. What do I want to be when I grow up? Uh, She's got a great chapter on long-term and short-term goals, priorities, and motivating the motivator, right? 
as trainers, we need motivation too. Uh, and depending on what you seek out as a reward, I might suggest that you can only drink so many margaritas, right? <laughs> so there are ways to find motivation in the training as well. And Black 10, she says, be demanding. And I think you'd be surprised by what she has in mind when she says that. She talks about attention to detail, being objective. That means controlling your emotion, right? Check it at the door. No excuses. How many times have you heard me say that, right? We talk about that here all the time. Maintain trust and respect. And this is the beginning, not the end. So, Bobby Anderson, good stuff here. Really, really, really want to pick this up if you can. I'll give you just a taste of uh, how Bobby approaches this stuff um, when she starts to talk about why puppies do what they do, right? And that's a common question from dog owners. Why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? Generally, the response is because she can, because you allow it, because she has opportunity, because it was the best she could come up with in the moment, right? Because she's a dog, Bobby says that in today's competitive environment, it seems there are as many trainers and training methods as there are breeds of dogs. These methods include things like positive and negative motivation, food training, play training, toy training, clicker training, throw in the endless variety of paraphernalia from electronic gizmos to metallic gadgetry, and the whole process can seem more complicated than computer science. Because performance dog handlers want a dog with an unrelenting spirit and a send-me-in coach kind of attitude. They want a dog that is fast, enthusiastic, motivated, confident, and eager to perform on grass, dirt, water, or a muddy field thick enough to suck off your boots. How many times have you seen a dog performing with speed, enthusiasm, accuracy, and said to yourself, my next dog's going to be like that? The good news, she says... This is an achievable and realistic goal. In dog training, as in anything else in life, you cannot expect something for nothing. Competition is fierce at the elite level, and the sport of dogs is one of the few venues where amateurs and professionals compete side by side for the same points, the same qualifying scores, and the same rosettes. The professionals, those individuals who make money training and handling dogs, have dedicated their lives to the sport of their choice. In addition to having spent years apprenticing, they spend hours every day, 365 days a year, honing their craft. They are counting on the blue ribbons to enhance their careers and reputations, and they are your competition. So puppy training for the future performance dog takes smart management, good dogmanship, an enduring love of the sport, an endless reserve of patience, an ample supply of common sense and creativity. You need the ability to view setbacks with a healthy sense of humor, and some days a sense of humor will be the only thing that keeps you from plunging headfirst into complete lunacy. <laughs> right? If you've had puppy, you know what she's talking about. There are no money-back guarantees in the sport of dogs. It's hard work, training and competing successfully, but it is not impossible. 
on any given weekend and at any given show or trial, it is all up for grabs. When you and your dog come out on top, the heartache and disappointment of previous shows will be nothing more than a distant memory, at least until the very next show, right? Um, so this, this might be something you want to pick up uh, and take a look at, right? Here's, a, here's another of my favorite sections where she talks about respect as the bottom line. Puppies do not live in or comprehend a democratic society where voting determines who gets to eat first, hunt, breed, or get the cushiest spot for sleeping. Long before dogs were domesticated, they lived in packs, and their survival depended on their ability to cooperate and coexist. A dog's individual personality and status were integral in maintaining continuity within the pack. The pack needs a... um, a dynamic, right? Uh, in a domesticated environment, the leader must be you. So in this pre-programmed behavior of submission to and appeasement of higher ranking individuals that allows the domesticated dog to accept you as his leader, it's essential that you establish yourself in an appropriate and humane manner, Right? If your puppy learns to respect you at an early age, he will respect you when he is two, five, and nine years old. Ideally, if you raise a puppy or get one that's eight weeks old, by the time he is three and one half or four months old, he should have developed the foundation of respecting you, provided you have laid the proper groundwork and instilled the behaviors that build a solid and mutually respectable human-canine relationship. Respect. Not submission, not fear, not dominance. That's not what she's talking about here. Respect, right? Again, think about the difference between your regular teacher and your substitute teacher. We all have those stories to remember, right? Um, Let's look back when we get to the end where she's, lots of pictures in here too. So if you're at all wondering like, what what are we doing? Uh, she's got lots and lots of pictures and not just border collies. Um, she's got pictures from students and clients and uh, friends who were there and willing to help out or pose or be models or participate in some, in some way. So let me get to the end here. Sorry. Oh, this section here on formal versus informal training, right? She says, try not to get caught up in the formal versus informal training philosophy. That seems like a good idea. She said, all the time people ask me when I should, when should I start informal training? Well, the only real difference between formal and informal is the degree of precision that you require. Think about how you learn to talk, right? As you were learning to talk by talking to caregivers, that level of precision and formality was both added in and then relaxed at the same time. 
So if you were struggling as a toddler to pronounce a word, someone might repeat the word back to you, pronouncing it correctly and giving you a chance to pronounce it correctly. But they didn't stop and parse your grammar, right? Oh, you, you didn't sit in your high chair and hear, good morning. Today we're going to learn English, which is a subject, verb, object, language. Let's begin with a subject. A subject in a sentence is usually a noun or a noun phrase. A noun is a person, a place, or a thing. Can you tell me a subject? Nobody learns to talk like that, right? We don't learn about that level of formality with respect to how we describe our own language use until we're maybe in the third grade when we start to learn things like parts of speech Up until then, we get to take our language use for granted, and we couldn't even tell anybody, how did you learn to speak? It was just a natural, normal process that occurred in your life with the adults, or maybe the older siblings, cousins, the people who were in your immediate circle. And you learned by practicing, by trying things out, And by having someone share back with you uh, a level of precision, right? We say that word like this simply by saying it again for you and then clapping their hands when you approximated uh, what you heard them say. That's how puppy training can go too. But it requires that we pay a little bit more attention to what we're doing with that puppy than we might normally do. Right? We get sloppy or lazy or distracted. We get distracted ourselves and then we wonder why the puppy's distracted. Because the goal is for your puppy to grow into a well-adjusted, happy adult who is eager and capable of executing a variety of commands under any conditions. Right? Bobby Anderson's talking about potentially stressful show conditions. You're talking about a dog who walks down the street without pulling you, even in the presence of other dogs and people. Is that formal or informal training? Does it matter? It might, right? I think what you want to avoid is the kind of formal training that can be hideously boring, repetitious, predictable. Um, To go back to our human language acquisition analogy, uh, doing grammar worksheets. There is a a giant body of research in linguistics, applied linguistics or um, language acquisition that notes that doing grammar workshops, grammar worksheets will not change how you use language. Won't do it. You can drill and drill and drill and drill and drill, but how you use language is influenced by a lot more than just these formal fill in the blank sentences, pages. It's not so different than with our puppies, right? For example, if you want to teach the puppy how to sit rather than do eight boring sits in a row, mix up your routine, get a toy, have a little game of tug, lure your puppy into a sit or tell him to sit. When he sits, praise him, throw the toy behind him and encourage him to go get it. When he picks it up, run across the room and call him to you, praise him for coming, play with the toy some more. Then uh, push the toy into his front legs and watch him fold into a down. Praise him, play some more and lure him into a front in front of you. 
Praise him. Drop the toy behind you. Open your legs and use your hands to push him through. Play some more. Throw the toy behind him. And both of you chase it. You can get a lot of sits and downs and practice in that way. And the puppy is learning a ton of things from you. And yes, it's formal to the extent that it's, it has form and requires a certain degree of physical and mental discipline from both of you. The puppy doesn't know that. Only you know that. And knowing that for you can make all the difference in the world. I'll leave you with one more tidbit and I hope that I've um, piqued your interest enough in this book that you'll go check it out. Bobby Anderson makes a distinction between practice and training. She says there's a significant difference between practice and training. That training is constantly striving to improve your puppy's performance as well as your own. Practicing is running through the exercises to see how the training is progressing. So she wants us to remember to always train the parts of an exercise and the behaviors, not the whole exercise. Right? If your junior herding dog is having trouble with his lie down command, take him away from the sheep. Find the root of the problem. Fix it separately from the field work. Whatever you do, don't scream multiple commands at your dog. It does no good and it teaches him he does not need to respond to you immediately. Right? Don't undercut your own practice. So, Bobby Anderson, Building Blocks for Performance. Check it out. Especially if you've got a new kid. A new kid on your block means you need the building blocks for taking all that energy and putting it into something constructive. And I think that whether you plan to compete with your dog or not, that is at the heart of what this book would allow you to understand and think about. So trying to bring you all the good stuff, you guys. And here we are at the end of our time together. Thanks as always for your listening ear. Appreciate you being here. Um, Enjoy your dog at whatever stage of life you're at. Old friends, new friends, or somewhere in between. And enjoy your time with us here on KZUM. KZUM HD. This is the coolest radio station in the world. And up next is the celebration. So stick around. Stay as cool as you are. Thanks for hanging with us. And uh, hope to see you soon at some outdoor music event. Thanks, guys.